We'd like to thank J.P. Morgan Chase for their support to make this podcast happen. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast and the guests on the podcasts do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of J.P. Morgan Chase and Company or its affiliates. I'd like to welcome you to Commonwealth's Emerging Tech and Ideas podcast, a show on how emerging technology is impacting people living on low and moderate incomes. I'm Tim Flocka, Executive Director of Commonwealth and host of today's podcast. In each episode, we'll introduce you to a financial services leader who's innovating and thinking deeply on this topic. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Ravi Gobindaraju, who is Head of Connected Banking at JPMorgan Chase. Ravi oversees the bank's consumer digital tools, including the bank's new credit journey credit building tool, all with an eye on serving customers who may be living paycheck to paycheck. I'm delighted we get to sit down uh, with you today, Ravi, and talk more about how a bank that serves uh, 60 million banking customers across the country thinks about emerging technologies, developing products, and serving people who live on low and moderate incomes. So with that, Robbie, again, thanks for joining. Uh, I think a good place to start would be just to give us an introduction and overview of your role and your work at J.B. Morgan Chase and what you're focusing on now. Thank you, Tim, and it's it's great to be here and, and, and talking to you. Uh, so uh, as, as you sort of mentioned at, at, at the beginning, uh, my, my role at, at, at Chase is all about building digital tools that help customers manage their finances, get a better understanding of their fin uh, financial health and financial lives, uh, and, and be able to, um, to to manage their their cash flow, uh, their debt, as well as their credit uh, in, 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 in a better way. Um, so we we have a range of tools, um, you know, starting with uh, with tools that give you a sense of your spending patterns, allow you to do budgeting, uh, allow you to uh, you know save um, uh, or uh, build savings uh, uh, based on different rules, uh, and then you know finally give you your credit score, your know, live credit and and, um, and continuous credit and identity monitoring, um, um, as well as uh, you know if you don't want to do all of that at Chase, allow you to connect that across different fintech apps. Uh, that uh, uh, that provide the same service, but bring your Chase data in a safe and secure manner to, to, to those apps. That is quite a range, uh, and a reminder of the of the scope, really, of the work. And you know, I think the the fact that Chase serves, and as I said a minute ago, you know, sixty million people is just a reminder that your perch is thinking, I assume, about scale and reach. And I got to believe that brings special opportunities and challenges. And I wanted to just get you talking about that. Um, what is it like to have that broad mandate and purview for such a large uh, group of customers in such a large institution? How does that map to thinking you know, short, medium, and long term? Yeah, it, it, it's a great opportunity to be a part of a large bank like Chase that serves you know customers across the 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 the, the United States and and uh, you know across different economic bands and you know as you sort of mentioned with with that sort of, sort of large population you're trying to solve problems for customers in in different different segments and and, and making sure that you're building solutions that 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 cater to them. So as we think of the tools we're, we're building, we're focused on scale in terms of making sure that it's broadly applicable to, to anyone that's coming in. But at the same time, how do we build the right personalization and the right uh, elements within our tools that, that can appeal to different customers? So a big part of it really comes down to understanding 
who we're building specific tools for, what their biggest problems are, how we can really help them improve their financial lives, and then and then tailoring our tools to that um, uh, to, to that specific um, uh, specific individual or segment. Um, and you know, oftentimes we'll have a variety of tools, and then really just make sure that we're surfacing the right ones within our experiences based on what would be most applicable to that to that customer. That makes sense. Even at that enormous scale, you're still thinking about how to tailor and personalize and make it relevant. Uh, we'll we'll circle back to that uh, later. Um, but I guess one thing I wanted to steer our our conversation to is is data. Uh, I think that we have all read some version of you know, data being the lifeblood of the economy and of consumers' lives and financial lives um, uh, going forward, especially the digital economy. Um, and I just have a hunch you could kind of shed some light on what that really means in practice. Why is data, especially financial data, so critical uh, in the future of financial services and frankly, the future of financial health for underserved households? What's going on in that world that we should be aware of when we're thinking about the impact on real people? Yeah, I mean, one of the the, the key things, and you know, you mentioned our scale, and we, we serve a, we're, we're proud to serve a number of Americans and a number of different households across the country. Uh, but at the same time, we fully recognize that you know, while we hope to be the primary bank for every household, we are not today. And so we and even for the ones that we are the primary bank, we recognize they have other banking relationships. And oftentimes, to really understand your own personal financial picture and get a better understanding of your finances, you have to kind of look at it across all of the different apps and all of the different banking institutions that you have a relationship with. And so that you know ability to bring together your, uh, your financial picture is highly dependent on being able to piece together your financial data across the different institutions that you bank with. You might have a, a mortgage with one bank and a checking account with a different bank and an auto loan with a third bank. Your credit card provider could be different and you have to kind of piece all of that together to really understand what your personal balance sheet looks like, you know what your opportunities are, where you could do better, and and so um, you know connecting financial data, we recognize has been historically a challenge, and and we at Chase are sort of proud to say that we've really leaned into making sure that we make it easy for our customers to both bring in data. So if you have relationships with other other financial institutions, you can bring that data into our. Uh, our mobile app and web experience, and you can put all of that together and leverage the tools that I talked about earlier um, to, to give you a better sense of your overall financial picture. But at the same time, you don't like our tools, you want to go elsewhere, whether that's a fintech app or a different financial institution, we've built APIs that make it easy for you to take that data and share that across the ecosystem. Uh, I do want to pause there and, and you know point one thing out. Historically, the way that um, things work in, in, in the US is uh, a lot of the fintech apps ask you to put in your username and your password for your financial institution so that they could go bring your bring their data in to, to, to kind of present your financial picture for you. That is highly risky for customers. And so as we talk about financial data and its importance and, and how we make it easy to, to kind of move across the ecosystem and, and manage your finances, uh, you know, one of the biggest things I would tell customers is never, ever share your banking username and password. Your financial institution should be making uh, investments to make that data available through APIs that are much more safer. And you don't, you don't want your credentials sort of floating out. Um, you know, further, like a lot of this data is highly sensitive. You know, you can make, it is your personal financial information and, and in the wrong hands can do a lot of damage. And so we, we want to make sure that as the regulations here in the United States evolve, uh, we're really sort of making sure that banks can continue to serve their customers. Uh, we definitely want to make it easy for customers to share data, 
but in a safe and secure manner. And, and so there are a lot of steps that we've taken to do that at Chase and are, are looking to work with, with regulators to kind of make sure that it happens across the United States. I want to steer the conversation to the topic of trust, because I think there's a connection between data and, and really what we were just talking about, the control of credentials and the like. Uh, you know, I feel like it, it's a pretty common observation and an accurate one that some communities have less trust for very understandable historical reasons uh, of a lot of institutions, including major financial service firms, and and to be able to deliver great quality products and services, you know, it is helpful to have some trust. And I am curious how this issue of trust surfaces around control of data and control of um, credentials. And if you have any insight about that, do you find that, um, that the ways you're able to talk to and help customers protect their data have any payoff in terms of trust or are there any pitfalls there? Anything we can learn from you? Yeah, I think what we've, we've tried to do is uh, in, invest in programs that really protect our customers' data and, and build that trust, whether that's coming through our, our consumer channels, we, we try to ensure that it has the highest security standards, or whether you're trying to you know access your Chase information elsewhere, uh, making industry-leading uh, uh, tools and services available to make that extremely seamless and, and, and safe for our customers educate our customers on that part to make sure that they that they're fully aware of it uh, but 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 to your point you know as, as you build these things scams and and other things exist I mean the number of people who get the uh, a fake uh, um, uh, text message asking to be you know sent money or other things does does exist and uh, we've tried to invest a lot in building the right education programs for our customers and flag to them that they need to be careful, like know who the who, know who the sender is. And, you know, we're not trying to slow down um, progress, but you know, put in the right guardrails to make sure that uh, we can we can uh, we can give customers a second to pause and really understand what you know what what the uh, what the transaction is before they before they go go completed. Um, so so th those are some things that we are trying to do to really sort of help uh, address that and 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 make sure that. Customers truly, uh, truly understand, uh, um, you know, what they're getting into before, uh, uh, before sort of um, uh, uh, executing on any of these transactions. There's a lot of attention that is paid and has been paid to human-centered design, design thinking, customer centricity. You know, various names. And to me, what's at the core of that is really trying to start with listening to and understanding your customers' pain points and needs. And uh, you know, that all sounds fairly straightforward in concept, uh, I, I believe. Um, and yet I imagine, especially in a really large institution, uh, it gets complicated in practice. Um, so I thought, what can we learn from you about how you really do understand from customers uh, what their acute pain points are and therefore where you want to invest in technology in the context of a very, very large institution? Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you like a little bit of our principles and you know walk you through an example of how we've actually done this to, to try to bring it to life. So uh, everything that we try to do from a product development perspective starts with with the customer. So we don't sort of come up with innovative solutions that we're in love with and then go try to find a customer for it. But it's it's, it's very much the other way around to say what what are the biggest pain points for our customers. So we have listening posts in our branches. We have listening posts in our community centers. We have listening posts uh, digitally where we're always collecting feedback and hearing the biggest pain points from a customer perspective. 
all of the tools that I've mentioned before, we often, you know, reach out to customers and get surveys and feedback on, on them. And so we, we continuously try to monitor for how we can make that better uh, and, 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 and ensure that we are, we are building, we're, we're building products that, that um, are, are most in demand for our customers. Um, secondly, everything that we build starts with discovery. So we don't just, you know, jump into problem statement uh, understood, let's go build a product. It's really taking a step back to say, okay, now that we have a customer problem, let's actually go come up with the right solution for this. Uh, let's do the right amount of design research, user research to truly understand the pain point, do focus groups to get direct testimonials from customers on what it is that they would really be looking for uh, when, we're, when we're building a solution for that problem. Uh, and then rather than a big bang approach of going and building the entire thing, we try to take a very experimental focus approach to start to say, here's a solution that we think can work for this problem. Let's start with a small experiment by you know maybe a painted door test. So it's not a real solution, but we put our title out there to see how many people would actually click on the, the click on it. And you know, oftentimes you'll realize you thought something was a problem until you put it, put it out there and nobody actually engages with it. And then you realize, well, that wasn't a good idea. Let's go in a different direction. And so it's important to sort of experiment your way and build into it. And then you know, once, once you know that something, there is demand for it, then you sort of start to build an MVP and you know, get that out there to try to see, get customers to actually use it. And it could be a small group. It doesn't have to go to all um, you know, the, the, the entire customer base, but get them to actually use it and collect feedback on what's working, what's not working. And oftentimes you think you wanted to build A and by the time you're done, you're building Z. And, and really you, along the way you've collected customer feedback and in the end you build a tool that really works for your customer rather than something that you thought was a good idea. And so that, that's, that's sort of like core to how, you know, um, a lot of the concepts that you sort of mentioned, how we, we go through the product development life cycle. Um, and so to, to give you an example, we recently launched, a, 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 you know, we, we have this credit monitoring tool that I sort of mentioned earlier, uh, where we give you your, uh, your credit score and uh, for, for free, and then we give you your credit monitoring. And uh, it's, it's a highly popular tool, several customers use it, but the biggest thing we sort of heard from our customers was, it's great, you're telling me my credit score, um, you know, what do I do about it, uh, right? Uh, especially as you, uh, you sort of mentioned LMI earlier, uh, you know, several customers don't have great credit scores, don't have great access to credit. And, and they're sort of asking, how do I improve my, my actual credit score? Um, and, and, uh, and, and we tried variations as we went through this process of, you know, putting tools out there uh, that, that said, um, you know, here's a plan, like here's how you generally improve your credit score. Here are, um, you know, lower your, your debt to get more credit, um, you know, get more access to like credit lines and things like that. But um, you know, oftentimes we, the feedback we sort of heard was, I tried to use it, I don't exactly know what to do with it. That was the feedback that kept coming back from, from, from customers. Uh, and then we, when we took a big step back, uh, we, we sort of realized what customers are looking for is personalized advice and guidance on how to actually improve their credit score. And so as we continue to refine that tool and continue to, uh, to, to build it and collect customer feedback, what we ended up with is a completely personalized uh, recommendation engine almost that that's, that allows you, um, you Tim, if you were to come in and, and use that tool uh, to, to get up a, a literally like five-step plan of here are the, the five things that you should do and we can track those steps for you and then show you the impact that it's going to have uh, on, on your on your score itself. And, and so that, that's an example of, of, of really sort of, um, you know, start, starting with something that was more of like, here's your score to like, you know, evolving it to really being a score improvement uh, uh, functionality.
Thanks for that, Robbie. I, I just to go back a beat. I, I love hearing that even as a very large uh, company, you're using these methods that are more nimble, that are more experimental, that are more incremental. You know, as you say, MVP or even something before that, and then and then kind of getting the feedback and, and iterating and continuing. It's really uh, it's really cool to hear that. Um, I, you know, listening to you, one of the paradoxes I've observed in our work is on the one hand, there are moments when we say, and I find myself saying, look, people are people. We all have very similar aspirations, right? We want to feel that we're basically financially prepared. We want to have some shot at, at over time, building up some assets and wealth and trying to remind us all that even if you have very little income or you have a lot of income, we have some shared aspirations. Uh, and yet other times really pointing out that we don't all have the same problems at the top of our list. Um, the classic one that that we uh, come across just so much is, is short-term cash flow and volatility. You know, that can be an irritant if you have a lot of resources or enough for a cushion. It can be life-threatening if you're living very close to the edge. So all of that to say, as I listen to you talk about your process of design and, and development and, and feedback, the sort of for whom a part of the equation came to mind. And I'm curious, are, are there moments of learning or stories you've had or, or ahas or anything you can share when you've discovered that the needs diverge and there was a need to get clearer on who the precise customer was and to either tailor the product or to steer in a different way or to take a step back and and uh, and try something entirely different. Yeah, it, it, it's a great point, and and especially you know as you serve uh, households that are so so diverse and 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 and, and a large scale, you naturally end up with customers with very different uh, needs and demands um, that 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 you have to solve for. And so I'll sort of continue to build on the example that I that I shared earlier. Um, you know, depending on your score band, so right, you know, even forgetting um, the uh, the economic uh, uh, angle to it, like just just thinking of of, of uh, of credit scores itself, if you if you have a high credit score, uh, you you, you kind of just want to know that your credit's okay, and if if anything materially changes, you want to be informed. Versus if you have a lower credit score, makes life difficult. You can't go buy a house. You, you have limited credit. You have to uh, limit your your uh, your ability to to, to really kind of you know um, uh, improve your financial health. Uh, your your focus is actually improving your score. And then somewhere in the middle, your 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 demands are sort of mixed between between both of those things, and so there is a spectrum of needs in terms of how the tool itself needs to cater to the to the customer. And so one of the things we are really leaning into is personalizing that experience within the tools. It, it, it's not that you need different tools. But if, if you if you're someone who has a 750 score, you, you probably are coming in just to know that your credit score is okay and there's no activity on your credit report that you don't recognize. And so what I need to surface to you are those insights versus um, or if I if I pick up other signals that say you're actually interested in credit, I need to surface the right ways for you to increase your credit without hurting your score. Versus on the other end of the spectrum, I pro you probably don't want to be keep being told you have a 500 score. What you want to be told is how do I get to the other end of the spectrum? So how do I get the right messages in front of you and the right tools to actually help you improve that score all the way? And so a lot of it is really just dynamic personalization to make sure that you know who your customer is that's coming in, what their biggest need is, understanding that intent of the customer and, and changing uh, the, uh, the the entire orchestration of your tool to, to really cater to that customer's needs. Yeah, that's super interesting. And one thing I heard you say that I just want to highlight is just what a different emotional experience, right? If if you have if you're not worried about your credit score, 
uh, you know, maybe there's some emotion tied up in making sure that it, it hasn't been hijacked, you know, uh, your security hasn't been compromised, but that's probably not a charged experience. But for that person who feels bad about their credit, you know, kind of hitting that wrong creates a neutral tool suddenly becomes this painful reminder of something. Um, just being aware of that seems really, really important. Um, so, so one thing that that I wanted to ask you is, you know, for an example of when you feel like the process really worked and you you just nailed it and knocked it out of the park. And I wonder if if maybe that's a little bit about what you've already been describing. Although, please, if there are other examples you want to share, and you know, if you feel comfortable, are there any any examples of where it just didn't quite work out the way you thought? You know, maybe didn't have the intended impact uh, that feel comfortable sharing uh, in the spirit of learning. Uh, I think we would be interested in and uh, walking your shoes a little bit about what it's what it's like to do a very difficult job. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I touched on some of the things that are going well. So let me uh, let me you know uh, uh, try try to answer the, the the second one. And you know, I, I think the the lesson learned historically what we did do is build a lot of products um, soup to nuts, right? So it would take two years, and so we would we would come up with this great idea. We know what we want to build go away for two years and build, build, build. And then you you launch this uh, brand new product and you realize nobody in the market's actually interested in that. Or, you know, two years is a long time, like the world has moved on and the problems that you thought you were solving have been solved in a better way. Technology moves at too rapid a scale for uh, uh, for, 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 for things to move slowly. And so uh, I think our biggest lesson learned from like having done that is the kind of need for experimentation that I sort of uh, mentioned before. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and the reality is, as you start to like go on this journey and, and, and design tools for, 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 for customers, you, your understanding of the problem evolves and your understanding of the, uh, and, and, and as the customer situation changes, you actually realize that you need to build something completely different than, than, than what you, what you started with. Um, so we're, we're, we're in the middle of, you know, building a, a number of new things that, uh, that, that we think our customers need. Um, and, you know, I think I would say the biggest change we've made is each one of them now comes in very bite-sized pieces uh, where we where we build something, we put it out there, we get feedback, we go back, we change it, and we're very open to, to, to that feedback and learning from it as opposed to being uh, uh, being attached to, uh, to, to the, the premise that we started. That sounds so, so sensible and like it bodes well for the basically the set of tools that come to market and their 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 value for for customers so that's fantastic to hear um Ravi it'd be a, a missed opportunity not to you know given the work you do uh not to ask you about the future and so I I'm going to ask sort of two sides of the same coin you know when you think about where uh digital financial tools are headed um uh you know both in terms of the what the content you know what can they do for us and perhaps also to pick up on the theme of your last response, the process of how they get chosen and designed and built. Uh, what can you share that you think would be good for people to uh, to look forward to and to be aware of of uh, coming soon? I think one of the things that as we as we continue to build tools and and the ecosystem continues to evolve, it, it's going to be all about how we help customers. Um, uh, it kind of stay at it, like, you know, whether it's leveraging AI, whether it's leveraging other, other, uh, technologies, how do you make it easy for customers to do bite-sized things every single day that can compound over time to have a, a, a disproportionate effect on their financial health over a long period of time, right? So it's not, it's, it's hard when you are living paycheck to paycheck to think of, um, saving, uh, you know, for retirement, like that's a, that's a big number that can seem overwhelming, but if you start with, 
uh, trying to think of the sa saving the first $25 and then you sort of build from there. That's how you can really sort of compound and, and have that uh, have that overall effect. And so how do you kind of make that a part of people's day-to-day -day lives as opposed to a separate exercise that they have to go do? And I think that will really make it easy uh, for, for, for customers to, uh, to, to make progress from a financial health perspective. Uh, I think the second thing is is really advice. There are a number of uh, things out there that give you uh, generic insights, and um, you know, ha, ha, you know, most people want to be told what to do as opposed to just being presented with insights and uh, and and then having to go figure out what to do. And so, how can you sort of leverage uh, a, a lot of the things out there to get to that right place on insights? I think, yeah, uh, or or personalized advice is is going to be important and. Um, that that's an area we we are uh, exploring a chase as well. Well, so you know when you and I chatted, it's been some weeks ago now. But before we, one thing that came up was what an enormous impact uh, in India the um, open banking and um, really the the rapid expansion of of digital tools has made. And I wonder if you could just take a moment, comment on that, uh, maybe remind us of what we're talking about there and. Do you see any lessons, you know, that it might be applicable to the the way forward for us in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the problem statement in India is quite different than than the one we have in the U.S. But like in in India, like the biggest issue is a majority of the population is actually unbanked, um, and so they don't have a, a banking institution. A lot of the the dealings happen in cash, and so there is no uh, the, uh, the the it all happens outside of the the, the banking sector. But as a result, it also ma makes uh, economic progress really difficult for a significant portion of the society because there is no way to like you know increase leverage and like continue to like build your build your financial lives. Uh, and and one of the things that has happened and and a lot of it is is government led is 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 lead is leaning into really saying how do we create digital identity as a thing across the country, leveraging financial data and leveraging uh, financial institutions, uh, and, and then allow. Um, easy proliferation of that identity to uh, uh, across across the ecosystem to, to get people into the bank uh, into like uh, a financial inclusion uh, sort of concept right like get them into the banking sector and 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 then allow them to really sort of deepen and and, and build their financial lives I think the problem in the United States is slightly different is in that we, we probably don't have as many un, uh, un, uh, unbanked um, um, citizens across the, across the country uh, but, but I think there's a lesson to be learned in terms of just uh, building out the right system when we when we talk about open banking and open finance in a way that we can really hold, uh, focus on financial inclusion and financial health. Yeah, I, I that's appreciate I appreciate all of that, and uh, you know, I, I, obviously the context and as you say, the problem statement, you know, is 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 quite different. But the one thing I have wondered about, and I'm interested for your perspective on, is that. Um, you know, as a, as a very casual observer of what's happened in India, I wonder if there's been something of a tipping point that, achieve, you know, was achieved by such a concentrated focus, as you say, in, in, in the Indian context of really getting people into the system at all. And I'm, I'm fascinated if there might be some possibility for a similar concentrated effort to achieve some tipping point in the U.S. context. Um, and if any part of that resonates, I'd be interested. And, and if you think that's just... Uh, too far of a, of a a bridge too far that would be uh helpful to hear as well um uh so so what i would say is that i think that the 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 problem we haven't cracked here is is one of of, of identity and so i think as you think of the future uh digital identity becomes the most important thing that allows you to kind of reach that tipping point 
Um, and so while we have a very strong foundation to build from, uh, as, as we think of uh, a, a number of the crises that the country is facing and, 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 and we're going through and as the, the population dynamics across the country change, uh, building that, that common digital identity framework that allows for um, you know, identification of who's who and like the right, uh, 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 right controlled mechanism for uh, money transfer becomes becomes super important. And so I think I think that that that's an area that uh, as as these rules continue to evolve and and, and things change, um, it'd be it'd be interesting to, to to kind of see how the country continues to move in that direction. I love that. And just to check, I, what I feel in in my head as I listen to you is is. Um, primarily around security and and reducing fraud, that that's what that digital identity would do for us. Is that what you have in mind, or are you thinking even beyond that? I think even beyond that, just just knowing who people are, right? Like because today you're sort of restricted. Like the the biggest uh, challenge when when um, when 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 you're trying to authenticate someone is how do you actually know that that's the person? Um, and uh, uh, in, in the context of commerce at scale, like that, that is the biggest gating uh, factor um, uh, that, that allows you to like uh, have that happen across the country. And so uh, I, I think uh, beyond just security and, and, and fraud, like I think it just, it gives access to more people because without that identity, you have no way to actually enter the system. It's sort of table stakes to be able to access the, yeah, the modern, modern digital world. Yeah. Yeah. Robbie, I know we're, we're at time. I want to just thank you for the conversation and really appreciate the chance to talk with you today. Thank you. It's great being here.